You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning into the Morphology Podcast, aka Murph here to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over. Each week, we'll get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? Well, this week, meet Scott, who is a lifelong bike tourist. He named his bike Mustang Sally, and together, they just completed an 18,000-mile self-contained journey with a mission to raise money for national parks. He called it Parks Pilgrimage, and he was able to visit 33 national parks in one continuous bicycle tour. Scott is on today to tell us about this great adventure and is going to provide us with some good tips on bike travel, gear, and passion for bicycle travel. You can find his travel blog at bikemule.home.blog. And by the way, if you're listening to this episode in November or December of 2022, you can still participate in the Morphology 200 Mile Winter Challenge, especially if you need inspiration to stay active once cold weather moves in. The link is in the show notes, or you can go to the Morphology Podcast website and click the link in the menu tab. So here's Scott. All right. Well, I would like to welcome Scott to the podcast today. Hey, Scott. Hello. How's it going, Kathy? Good. I am pretty pumped to talk to you. Um, I was given your name and contact information by a guy who you ended up uh, meeting through the Warm Showers app. And the reason you were even out there needing Warm Showers is because you recently took the adventure of a lifetime. I mean, in my opinion, it's adventure of a lifetime. By yeah, I was going to say, let's, let's, let's hope that's not the, the, the largest one I do in my life. Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but it was biking to all of the national parks. Like this, I'm sure this is on a lot of people's bucket list, whether it's by bicycle or via vehicle. But uh, that's why you're on, is to talk about that today. Yeah, well, w- one thing is there's a small caveat. I wasn't able to reach all of the parks because the fire season of 2021 altered my path so much. Oh yeah. That, that by the time I covered the 18,000 miles, I said I was going to cover, but I, I reached 33 of the 51 national parks in the U S in the lower 48. And I, I, there were two that I got to, but couldn't get on the Island ones, Isle Royal and, 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 uh, try Tortugas because, the lead time you need to book passage onto those, the ferries that take you out was so far in advance that for bike touring, it wasn't practical. Uh, How many miles did you say you completed though? In total, 18,009. 18,009. That's wow. That's worth repeating. 18,009. Wow. 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 So, okay. Think back. Um, whenever this became a dream and how did it change from a dream to reality? It, it was one of those, I've been touring my whole life. So I had, I'd done the Western express and the Trans Am, the Southern tier, uh, the Pacific coast, the Northern tier, um, the Sierra cascade route with the Pacific coast again, and then the Mississippi river from new Orleans up to St. Louis and then around 
Lake Michigan and ending mm. in Chicago. So I've been touring a lot. And sometime in that, you know, I love it when my tour would bring me past a national park, mm-hmm. right? They're just such special places. They, they really do. I mean, they're Keystone ecosystems. They have um, both environmental and cultural um, importance and significance to us. So I just love them. And I, I don't know when it officially became my dream, but I just remember thinking one time, just going, wouldn't it be cool to, to bike to all of them in one continuous tour? And somehow, you know, that's, that stayed with me for a couple, three or four years. And then a couple of years ago, I started, it really, you know, you you can do it. You can do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I talked to a couple of friends and they encouraged me. And I finally, at one point you just have to, you have to to pull the trigger. You have to make the commitment. Um, And it's a big commitment. This is a lot bigger than any of the other ones. The other one, I think the longest one I had before that was three months, maybe four was the Northern tier. Mm -hmm. And, um, and even that's a big commitment because, you know, that's three to four months out of work. Well, this one was going to be way longer. And so you, know, you got to think about your finances. You got to think about everything. And right, right. A couple of years ago, I I left the job and I was wanted to do a bike trip and I was going to do the Atlantic Coast. And I was having uh, coffee with an old friend of mine. And he said, hey, weren't you thinking about doing the... It, it's now called the Sierra Cascade route, but originally it was called the Pacific Crest bike route. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, it was it was published in a book that obviously was not a publication because nobody does it because it's an insane route. It just follows the crest of the Sierras and Cascades, so it's literally like 2,500 miles of hill climb. Of of, mountains. Yeah, I was going to say of major elevation. Yeah, because all you're doing, I mean, once you follow the spine of them, you never get out of them. And, and so... Um, and now uh, the book went out of publication, but people heard about it and they started asking the ACA, um, Adventure Cycling Association, about it. And they, I, I think they reached out to the guy who wrote the book and he helped them map it. Um, and it came out. Now it's, it's issued um, as a map set to the Adventure Cycling Association and it's called the Sierra Cascade Route. And my buddy said, weren't you always dreaming about doing uh, the Sierra Ca- Cascade Route? And I said, yeah. And he goes, Dude, it almost killed me when I, he did it when he was 21. He said, it almost killed me when I was 21. Wow. Uh, you might want to, you might want to think about uh, doing it sooner rather than later. And I was like, you know, he's right. And he was, cause I did it and it nearly killed me. It was, oh, uh, you did do it. it. Was, yeah. And, and, wow. and, uh, and so that kind of advice came to, you know, as, how stick, stick, as this trip kept rolling around in my head, which is, you know, it ain't going to get any easier as I get older. I'm 53. And so I'm like, it, you know, it's just, <laughs> I'm spending, 18 months living on your bike in the cold and the rain and the hot and the everything. Like it just ain't going to get any easier as I get older. (laughs) Right. And so to push it off further and further and further. And finally I just, you know, COVID hit and, you know, we were isolated from friends and family. And that's when I made the final decision was during COVID that, you know, I didn't, didn't, we, none of us travel, we didn't do anything. And I I finally just said, you know, at the end of this, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to finally do this. And I'd been saving money for years. And uh, like I said, I've been touring for years. I didn't have to buy any of the gear, but uh, I finally just made the commitment to myself and then, uh, then pulled the trigger. Wow. And uh, for those that listen to this podcast know that earlier this year, I did the Southern tier route. And uh, so I know firsthand the volume of planning that went into that adventure and uh, it was only 65 days. So I just can't, you know, and it was 
the maps were already done. It was just basically a straight line across the United States, way different from figuring out how do I go from national park to national park. And for, like you said, 18,000 miles. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not real good at planning. So <laughs> yeah. my, my planning one, the, the, the route that I ended up with was not the route I started with on day one. Um, and that got changed again. And that was because early on, I had a, a partner with me for the first 3,000 miles who was video, doing the videography for the trip because we were, we were using this trip to raise money for the National Parks Foundation. Oh, okay. And, and, and so um, we've raised to date over $12,000 for conservation in the parks. Wow, that's and so, impressive. And so um, we had an, a, a, an initial plan, but within a week of that, we, just, we scrapped it and uh, started – from Arkansas and headed out. But like I said, the fires changed the route. Mm-hmm. Most of the, the parks along the West Coast, I, I had to skip except for the ones on the coast because they were they were either on fire or closed because the fires were either on the roads going in or the smoke was so bad I couldn't get into them. Mm-hmm. I kind of look at, I, I, I knew the, the, the general order in which I had to get to the parks, but I had no, like I didn't go down and look at the roads or the campgrounds. I did, I do that either the morning of or the night before the next day. Uh, and are you using your phone for this or maps or like what's so your resource? I, yeah, I, yeah, so I use a, a, a variety of resources to plan it. So I over this trip, obviously, ACA maps are always good. And having biked a million of them, I owned most of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's an entire pannier right there just full of maps. And then I only needed portions because I only did like I only did like maybe two or one and a half portions of, sure. of the Route 66. I would just buy their um, their electronic ones and use their bicycle navigator app. Oh, yeah. OK. Which is really nice. So I would use ACA maps, um, Google maps. Uh, there's a, a camping map called All Stays Camp and Tent. Mm. It can't, All Stays has a bunch of different iterations. It has All Stays Walmart parking lot. All stays, um, truck stops, all stays, RV. Camp and tent is the one where you're allowed to tent camp at. Oh, okay. So they'll show you the ones. You know, the nice thing about all stays is you can, you know, so say I'm in, you know, Knoxville and I'm heading towards my next park, which would be Mammoth Cave. And I, so, you know, I, I try to stay anywhere from 50 to 70 miles a day. That's mm-hmm. to me, it's, it's, it's a sweet spot. I don't, you know, 70 miles, it's, it, that's, I roll at about 10 miles an hour. That's about seven hours a day you, know, you figure up knock down set up camp all the little things in between stopping and talking people getting food getting lost whatever i like to keep it in there so then i just get you say it's the night before i'll get in and i'll just start looking for campgrounds in the direction that i'm headed mm-hmm. i find one i look at it oh that's good it, it actually in all states you can send it directly to google maps and google maps so then you know we'll route it using the bike app oh nice okay yeah and so then i have a route for the next day so a few times I created routes through Garmin Connect and then sent them to my Garmin. <laughs> it's like, that's only for going through cities and stuff like that. If the city didn't have a, a good bike path going through it. So um, those were primarily the resources that I would use. And then then I would just roll. I, I mean, love it. I love it. And, you know, you have to have the mindset starting your day that I'm just going to roll with it. This is my destination for tonight. But the nice thing about having everything on your bike is if you don't make it there, then you can find an alternative place to camp or, you know, you, oh, I'm yeah. sure that you were 
um, on the fly making changes. And if that's your mindset, then it doesn't matter. Like you just can still roll with it and enjoy it. Yeah. I, uh, I have a blog that's pretty popular with bike tourists called bike mule. Oh, okay. Um, named after he yeah, had named after the fact that I pull everything in a trailer, so I kind of feel like the mule in the whole setup. Yeah. And uh, um, I in one of the, my blog posts, I once said that you know if I camp in the evening at the place I set out to camp at in the morning, I feel like that was a, a pretty triumph triumphant success for me. <laughs> <laughs> and and on my very first uh, transcontinental tour, which was really basically my first tour, I'd done a couple overnighters and nothing like no one week tours or anything like that. Um, I sort of developed a strategy of picking three campgrounds. One, this is the one I want to get to. And then you have that day, not many, but you have that day where then you hit your 60 miles and you're fresh and it's one in the uh, afternoon. Yeah. You want to keep going. And, yep. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. and it's like, Oh, well, the next one's 30 miles on. I can do that. I can do that right now. So yeah. um, where that was possible on this trip, I also did that where I looked, you know, I do my, can get to want to get to you know if all dreams come true we'll camp at the third one. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, kind of a side topic here but I wanted to ask you um, from what I've read that you personally made quite a transformation as far as your health do you want to talk a lot at all about that I, I had gotten just I'd worked a tremendous amount mm-hmm. um running research and admin offices at, at universities. And I just put on, you know, I, I think I'd gotten up to about 350 pounds mm-hmm. and it gotten very unhealthy. And, uh, when I, I, I left a position and this was in 2017 and that's when I did the Sierra cascade route and then came down the Pacific coast. And on that, I, that's when I lost, uh, I, uh, 89 pounds on that trip and oh then continued gosh. to lose and then continued to, to, to maintain it. You know, I'd grown up racing mountain bikes and touring, but after law school and then, you know, successively getting, you know, going up the career ladder, you just work more and you, you know, you're, unfortunately for me, it let my hobbies like biking and stuff like that drop. And then, you know, you start eating unhealthy because you're eating from, you know, you're getting your, your breakfast delivered at the office and your lunch delivered at the office. And you're picking up dinner on the way home. So you're not cooking. So you're eating at restaurants. So I just sure. got really unhealthy. And um, I just, you know, I talked to a doctor and he said, if I didn't change my ways, I, I probably wouldn't live to 55. And just, well, that's not a good prospect. Right. So, you know, I, I, I left that position and I did the Sierra Cascade Pacific Coast. And then, you know, and then just decided I'm never going to let my life get out of balance like that again. Wow. And so, so when I started this trip, I was in, in, in phenomenally good shape. Sure, <laughs> so sure. It didn't happen on this one, you know, especially with COVID. I had nothing. You know, what, what did we have to do? I get up in the morning, go on a 20, 30-mile bike ride, and then go to work and then come home. And then I have my rowing machine. I row a 10 to 15,000-meter piece in the evening. And that that's what I did for the entire year leading up. And I got to say the rowing machine was that thing is hands down one of the best uh, pieces of equipment you can get if you want to maintain really good health and, and just have great core and everything for, for touring. Yeah. It's a really good full body uh, exercise for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and obviously you, you had to have been in shape to be able to cover 18,000 miles uh, both physically and mentally, but do you want to share some of your stats? Like we know you went 18,000 miles, but like, Tell us a little bit more about that, this latest adventure through national parks. 
Uh, and if anybody would wants to, um, they can go to my uh, my Instagram. Yeah. And, and the, the project was called Parks Pilgrimage. And it's set up through it, we set it up with the um, National Parks Foundation. And actually all the money that I raised through it is put into a restricted account. It can only be used for conservation in the parks. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. And so but, um, I did a final uh, like a, like a little inventory on my last posting, which has a one minute pictures of every park that I hit. It has the uh, a list of all the inventory. But if you'd like, I could I could give you those right now. So it was 18 months, 18,000 miles, 42 states, 33 national parks, 14 UNESCO biosphere reserves. Nine UNESCO World Heritage Sites, three national grasslands, two national seashores, two temperate rainforests, eight time zone changes, six times crossing the continental divide, 60 plus national forests, 400 plus nights of camping. I went through nine chains, four sets of brake pads, two complete sets of cables and cable housings, two saddles, um, five rear tires, two two tents. Two complete drivetrains and two trailers because a guy backed over my trailer in a camera. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is amazing! So it's hard to wrap around. Like that's that is amazing. So the first thought that comes to mind when you give off that list, um, well, besides the fact that I'm like, wow, I want to do this. How were you able to financially keep touring? Well, I put a lot of money in the bank for one. Yeah. <laughs> and two, um, when I left my position, I managed the the contract office at the University of Arizona for research. And uh, when I left, they asked if I would go to reduced effort. So I actually worked, I did a contract. I helped support the team and redlined contracts and reviewed work of, of uh, the people in my office while I was on the trip. So I could oh, be yeah. li- literally sitting in my tent at night with my iPad doing it. It's funny. I met these two kids uh, on the Oregon coast and we were biking together and they were following me. Um, going into, I think, Gold City. And when we got there, um, one of the guys pulls up behind me and he goes, were you negotiating a contract while we were biking? And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, why? And he's like, yeah, just just, like when I get close to you, you'd be, you know, arguing contract clause. And I said, I do that all day long. My office would call me all day long and and we would just discuss it. So between what I had saved and then what I could earn um, at reduced effort through the university is how I supported myself. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And, um, okay. So I want to talk about like, I guess before we started recording, we talked briefly about, you know, panniers or having a trailer and you know everybody kind of has an opinion on that, but can you tell us for this adventure about your bike and your bike setup? Yeah. So my bike is a, a 2017 Surly disc trucker named Mustang Sally. And I, don't tour with bags unless I'm going to be on single track. If I'm going to be on road or even dirt road, I prefer to pull a, a Burley Nomad trailer okay. with me. And, and and the reason for that was very simple. Um, my very first tour, I just come back from teaching um, abroad in the South Pacific as a volunteer. And when I got back, I just wanted to see the country. And I only had one bike and it didn't have brazons for racks. And a buddy of mine owns a shop and bike shop and he's like you know i think they have these trailers you can hook up to a bike and he found it and i ordered my first burly nomad and i've been i've been loving them ever since you know i'd had a few overnighters before that to me i i really they have like i said they have uh like you and i discussed they have both 
uh, benefits and um, and and minuses. So they have pros yeah. and cons. But yeah. And is the Nomad the one that just has one wheel in the back? No, that that's the Coho. Okay, so yours no, had the, two the Nomad wheels. Nomad is, is the two wheels. Got it. Okay. Okay. And then, yeah. so if you have, basically, you are dragging everything that you're bringing along in that trailer rather than bags on your bikes, right? Well, I have front and back racks and on the bike. And I had um, jammed mountaineering extended trunks on the front and the back. And in the front um, trunk, I would have, I had like my batteries, my sunscreen, extra snacks, some electronics I may use during the day, just things I would grab quickly, a, a bandana for wiping sweat off my face. And then in the back, I had, um, in the back trunk, I had my rain gear, um, my raincoat, a pair of tights, my bike tools, my tire levers, my pump, and spare tires and patch kit. So, so, so stuff that you like needed accessible. Would, yeah, yeah, things that I would grab on on it on it. You know, if you're riding along and all of a sudden starts to drizzle, I just reach back and throw on my my uh, raincoat. Or if I start mm-hmm. today because it's really cold, and then you know by you know nine o'clock it's warm, take the tights off and throw them in the rear trunk. Mm-hmm. And okay, so I'm assuming that you may have had, if you're on the road for 18 months, you probably experienced about every single type of weather event. But uh, uh-huh. how about some, I don't know, mishaps or like major mechanical issues or getting lost or weather or I don't know, anything you want to share as far as mishaps? <laughs> well, <laughs> I lost a lot. Google Maps is, is good in air quotes. Um, but it does do weird <laughs> things. Like I remember once, this is early on when Alex is still with me, it had us, you know, took us, we went into, we camped in this beautiful little lake um, up in northern Minnesota called uh, Lake Beatrice. And it was a little primitive campground, could not have been more beautiful. About six miles in on dirt roads, absolutely sitting. And then the next day going out eight miles the next way. And then we'd get back on tarmac. And then from there, the rest of the day would be on tarmac um, up to our next campground. Mm-hmm. Eight miles down the road, the bridge is washed out. Oh, no. And not only is it washed out, the tree growing where the bridge was was about 8 or 12 inches across. So, I mean, it had been it had been washed out for years. It wasn't washed out for that month or a year or two. Yeah. It had been washed out for, for, for at least a decade. And so, like, it, uh, our option was eight miles back on the dirt road, then two miles up, and then this other way. It was, was going to be about 18 miles of detour. Or what we did is... We took everything off the bike, climbed down the this like 60-foot embankment, then carried everything across the river over our heads, and then up the other embankment. Put it, and I think it took us six trips to get everything across. Wow. And then we just assembled the bikes, because I'm not kidding, 250 yards past the other bank, I could see the tarmac. Oh, wow. Like So it was either do that and go across the river, or the 18-mile detour to get to that exact same spot. So that's what we did. But I mean, that's just one. I mean, I got caught in snowstorms. I got caught in up in Montana. Got caught in a thunderstorm that was so bad that the uh, the campground caretaker told us to get out of our tents. We went and sat in his house while while it blew over. And then when we got back, like my tent, it, it just blown both our tents over, filled them with water. I mean, the oh, wind was man. so unbelievable. But it had bent my poles so bad that that um, as I would tried to zip my doors closed it was pulling the screen mesh apart so 
because the tension was so bad on, and then the mosquitoes started getting through. So oh, yeah. I had to replace, I tried that tent for, I, I rode that tent from Montana to Santa Barbara and in Santa Barbara, I got, a, I got uh, that, I think it was a mountain Smith Morrison two tent. It's a great tent. It's a little heavy, um, five pounds instead of like a normal bike packing backpacking tent at around three pounds. But I like things that are a little more durable, especially when you're doing what I'm doing, because they're, you know, they're just not made for 18 months of abuse. Right. I was going to say every know, single day putting a tent, the same tent up. That's a lot of uh, use. And also, you got to think about it. You know, when you're bike touring, sometimes you're not camping in ideal spots. Right. You're camping on cement. You know, storms coming in. So you're camping underneath shelter uh, underneath, you know, if the campground will let you underneath the pavilion where it's cement and you know, that kind of stuff wears at the bottom of the tent so i kind of like a heavier tent and i'd had that one for a couple two or three tours prior to this one but unfortunately the windstorm got rid of her and i got an msr hubba hubba nx2 which is good but it is definitely a lighter tent and it's already going to need to have the poles either fixed or replaced oh yeah you're you're you'd be like a poster child for um how much use can you give a tent before it fails (laughs) because you're out there using it (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm I'm doing right now at the request of people from um, the my Instagram account for the project. Uh, I'm doing what gear worked and didn't work. Oh yeah, and they gave me a list of stuff that they want me to cover, and so I'm going to start that either this week or next week and just go through all the things that that uh, I liked and things that I didn't like. And that that tent, I would recommend the Hubba Hubba. I'd recommend the Hubba Hubba for you know like a transcon. Um, like I said, it was showing some severe wear at the end, but I mean, it made it, let's see, I was about five months in, so it made it 13 months. That's, and that's just, impressive. It, yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot of camping too. I mean, it was, you know, desert, ocean, mountain. I mean, the entire time I was in the Appalachians, it was 30 days of rain, just rain. You pack up your tent in the rain, then you unpack it in the rain and it's just, and it's just rain, rain, rain. And I'm, my, my feet began to like crack and dr- and, they, you know, when I finally get dry, my feet would hurt because they would be drying out and they'd been wet for so long. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but that tent went through a lot. I mean, it went through that, went through snowstorms in the Appalachians, windstorms. It's a good tent. I would I would recommend it for people just, you know, um, like I said, a, a tent like a Morrison Tour. One of those ones that's technically still considered backpacking, but it's they're on the cheaper end because they're heavier. But they're a heavier, more durable um, material. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason I went with the, 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 the MSR Hubba Hubba NX over say like, um, the big Agnes, uh, copper spur was because it does have a slightly, uh, I think the copper spur yours is a 10 denier, um, nylon and the, uh, for everything on it. And the Hubba Hubba uses a 20 denier on its bottom on the bucket portion of it. So it's slightly thicker. And I just, Knowing how many tents I've I've gone through over all the years of touring, and I just decided that would be a, a little bit better. And to be honest with you, the bottom and everything on the tent, I do use it with a footprint. Mm-hmm. Definitely did. Um, uh, it wore that way. It was the poles that I saw the wear on. When you think of all the stuff you have on your bike, you're not, or at least this would be my thought process if I was going to be traveling for that long, is, you know, sacrificing a little bit of weight to get a quality tent is way better than worrying about, you know, oh my gosh, this is a, a pound and a half more than the tent I oh, want. Yeah. Like who, at that point, it, you're, <laughs> you got to think about comfort a little bit. 
Well, yeah, on a, on a trip that's, you know, I can do anything for a month, right? But when you're looking past two or three months, comfort has to be one of the considerations that you make, right? Right, right. You got, I mean, because it's not just the physical part that, that is going to wear you down. Eventually, mentally, you'll wear down on a trip like this. And there was a three or four month period in the middle there where I wanted to quit every single day. Ah. I mean, it was just miserable. It was wet. I was lonely. Nobody was donating to the project. And I just, you know, and then, you, you know, you, ideas of doubts are creeping. Like, why did I do this? Why am I giving up a year and a half of salary? You know, all these things. And, uh, and if you, at the same time that these doubts, which are natural, are going to come no matter what, it doesn't matter, you know, uh, who you are, you're going to, you're going to experience it. If on top of that, you were on some sort of like austerity program, uh, you know, because of weight, uh, you would just make it miserable. So I had some things on the trip that, yeah, definitely, you know, I, I carried a Helionox chair, you know, the chair zero. Yep. Um, and I carried my Kindle for years. I didn't even, t- my first five, six major tours, I didn't bring a stove with me. I just, you know, it's just tuna and peanut butter, jelly, right, and right. bananas. And uh, it was, it was on my tour up the Mississippi that I first brought a stove and I'm like, why haven't I been doing this before? <laughs> but if you and, know, and, if people think of a typical day in your life, right, you know, you have yeah. the comforts of a temperature controlled area, you have heat sources, you have food sources where you, you're on your bike every single day. Like, so having a tiny stove in your bag, you know, might add a little bit of weight and bulk, but come on, like a warm meal occasionally or daily is probably like a luxury. Oh, yes. Especially, I'll be honest with you, it was coffee that finally won me over. Ah, okay. I was just having a nice cup of coffee in the morning to start the day. Uh, do you know what the Mojave water bottle is? Mojave water bottle cage? No, I don't. Okay, so it's made by Vela Orange, and it's a it's a water bottle cage that'll hold a Nalgene bottle. Oh, okay. Instead of a, and or um, what everybody in Arizona did, which I adopted, is they use those insulated bottles. And GSI makes a really light these light ones called micro lights that weigh I don't know like half of what a normal insulated bottle is. It only weighs a couple ounces more than a regular like twenty four ounce water bottle, okay, plastic water bottle. But it's it's one liter and the GSI ones, literally, I, when I was up on the Northern Plains during the summer, when it'd be 100, 105 every day, I could literally put ice water in it one afternoon, and it would be, there would still be ice water in it the next afternoon, oh. um, which, which is absolutely wonderful. But one of the things I started uh, doing on this trip was, especially during the stretch when, during winter, because, uh, you know, it just got so cold at one point. Was I, you know, when I finished making my dinner, I would boil my second pot and make my coffee that night and put it in the thermos and it would still be bite, piping hot. Put it in my water bottle. It'd still be piping hot that next morning. So I didn't even have to get out of my tent. I just have, you know, one liter of piping hot coffee and I'd, I'd open that up and do my reading and then, you know, eat my breakfast. Normally my breakfast in the morning would be fruit and maybe some pop tarts and, you know, some some kind bars or something like that. Um, I got pretty lazy by the end and I wasn't really doing a lot of like oatmeal and stuff. Sure. When it got hot, one of the nice things those water bottles are good for too was I would, right before I go in to find my campground, I'd find the last store and then I would buy a quart of milk and pour that in there and then a, 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 a box of cereal and I'd have cereal for, for breakfast or for dinner and breakfast 
and the, the, the milk would still be ice cold in the morning. Oh, that's man. That's a game changer. Yeah. And, and what switching over to insulated uh, water bottles was by far, you know, I'd done it before this trip, but by far one of the best um, tricks that I had for this, you know, little, little hacks for my bike that I had for it. Because like I said, cold water when it was brutally hot was really nice. Hot, hot coffee without having to get out of my tent on a cold morning was an easy way to start my day. Being able to get cold drinks and use them for my, my meals was also really nice. So that was a, a wonderful little uh, change on the bike. Oh, yeah. And Plus, I've... you're not drinking plastic. Right, right, yeah. And I, I'm personally not a coffee drinker, but I can tell you I know enough people that I tour with that coffee is life for them. So like being able to just wake up, stretch and grab that bottle and have it have hot coffee in it would, uh, like I said earlier, I mean, that's a game changer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of, you know, so I stayed with a, a fair amount of, of warm showers hosts um, on this trip. And I think that was the number one thing most of them loved was the Mojave water bottle cage. And the uh, GSI microlights because they are so much lighter than regular insulated bottles, and I found them to be pretty robust. Because, you know, over the years with Hydro Flask and all the other ones, I've dropped them, and you break that yeah. vacuum seal, yeah. and then it's just it's, then it's just a heavy stainless steel bottle. Right. It's got no insulating. Part. I love it. And that's that's yeah, going to so be on my great. Uh, Christmas list, I think. <laughs> well, that's funny. Um, I stayed with a uh, uh, a warm showers host and his wife came to me and said he's impossible to find christmas gifts for you got to tell me about this water bottle thing because he was talking about it last night so i brought out and showed her and she wrote all the names down and she's like he's getting that for christmas (laughs) (laughs) uh okay so you know we talked a little bit about a typical day for you you know like you said coffee in the morning reading you know getting some food in your belly biking all day finding campgrounds you know it's like kind of the same thing over and over and over again so after 18 months of that i i have to wonder what it was like to transition back to i'm going to put it in air quotes but normal life like what was well, that I, like i'm i'm i i've only been off the road for a couple of weeks so oh I'm, so you're I'm still... just getting back into it yeah, I you know three four weeks ago is when I finished. Yeah, I'm still transitioning. It's 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 hard. I'll I'll tell you the the you know certain things that change. You've done a long tour, so one of the things you realize is is you know your relationship to clean and dirty changes. <laughs> yes, <You know? laughs> that's true. You know, like I I'll, I'll I'll be honest. I'll get three or four days worth of wear on one pair of socks <laughs> when right. I'm touring. At home, I don't. But so, you know, you have these things that change. And also one of my favorite things is, is I like to call it a sunshine wash is, you know, you lay out a riding shirt. If you can't wash, especially when I was going through the desert, when it was just hard to find water, you're camping in primitive campgrounds and, you know, it may have a pit toilet and that's it. Just finding a place, a sink to wash yourself sometimes is hard. You know, laying a shirt out in the sun takes a lot of the stink away. Just weird things like that. But transitioning back to things that I've, that have just been the, like having a refrigerator and a washing machine. Oh gosh. Just, it's been such a, it's been so great. But the problem is, and this is the other thing is for 18 months, I ate between five and 7,000 calories a day. Oh yes. So that's a major transition. And that's been my thing is now, and right now, so I'm in this period where I really haven't been doing much other than seeing friends and, you know, doing a little, a a little other stuff, just sort of unwinding. I got a lot of free times on my hand. I've got to stop myself from eating. 
because my previous mode of life for 18 months was stop moving, start eating. Right, right. right. You, you got to get five in, you know, in the mountains, it'd be 7,000, 7,000 calories, a lot of eating. And so, you know, you push that hard that long and your body's just like, not when I stop, my body's like, well, where's the food? Feed me. <laughs> and I'm like, no, we don't need it, man. You know, I put on a couple of pounds since getting back and I was like, yeah, okay, we got to, we got to rein this one in. Right, right. And I guess, have you been on your bike since you've been back? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you haven't, I, I, you haven't lost the love of the bike. I don't know. I, I jokingly say that the most significant relationship relationships in my life have been with my bikes. And I think over the trip, I realized that's eh, not a joke. Yeah. <laughs> you and Mustang <laughs> me, Sally, me, man, forever, me and Mustang right? Sally have <laughs> Me and Mustang Sally have, I think, 28,000 miles together. Oh, gosh. That's pretty intimate right there. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, no, there's nothing I think that could ever make me not love being on the bike. Yeah. In fact, the second we get off this phone call, I'm going to do a 60-mile ride down to Venture and then come back up through the mountains. Oh, wow. That sounds awesome, actually. Yeah. So if we go back to the National Park Adventure, um, yeah. especially since you just completed it, are you still accepting donations for the fundraiser? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to – they never close those things down, I don't think. Oh, okay. Um, it's just because uh, so they, there's a special page for that fundraiser that they created. Um, uh, I'm sure they'll keep it open forever, but I'm actively going to keep working on it. Cause like I said, so many people have requested um, gear reviews Yeah. that, yeah. and, and I created uh, an Instagram. The, the Instagram is the, the project parks pilgrimage. And uh, so there, there's a link um from the parks pilgrimage main page to the national parks foundation where our project is set up and they can donate through that. So I'm going to keep, you know, hoping that'll keep generating donations for the parks, um, especially while I'm doing all these gear review videos and and the the reviews are going to be, people want, um, it's interesting. They want to know the footwear, which I, I bike in sandals Mm -hmm. winter and summer, Mm -hmm. um, my socks, my sleep system, my tent, how I got electricity and then my uh, rain gear, and then my uh, warm gear. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll be watching all of those because all of those, like, I mean, when you're miserable, <laughs> you know, like knowing the somebody else's proper setup for rain gear or tent or even finding electricity is like, again, you know, I'll say it again, it could be a game changer. Oh, yeah, and for electricity, I, I, I use two things. I have a solar panel, a little... 21 watt anchor solar panel that I created a little um, shock cord rigging system. So it, it sat on the, on my trailer mm-hmm. all day long while I'm out in the sun, it's collecting energy. And then I have a, a dynamo hub with a sine wave beacon light that has the inverter built into it. Oh uh, yeah. I have that too. Yep. And sine wave is great. And they help promote the project on their website. That, that thing on a very, very good day, say maybe I make 70 miles that might produce 3,500 to 5,000 milliamps of power, mm-hmm. right? So one and a half to maybe two charges of an iPhone, mm-hmm. which if that's all you're doing, that's great, right? But um, I also was doing work for the university on my iPad, which is just an energy hog. Plus I had my Kindle, plus I had my GPS, plus I had all my filming gear. So I just needed a lot more. So I, that's that anchor solar panel 
that thing's the, that little 21 watt solar panel really kicks out a lot of energy mm-hmm. in like four or five hours it would fill up completely fill up of a good sunlight um two five thousand milliamp batteries oh wow wow so yeah so that the really but that sine wave um beacon inverter with the dynamo hub man that, during that period when i was when it rained almost nonstop, i really had to rely on what i could get out of the dynamo hub and mm-hmm. yeah it's it's way less you know maybe maybe a quarter maybe less um uh at at its best it could it could kick out but that was enough to keep my phone charged and you know these are all roads i've never seen before right so i needed that phone uh to just i, I didn't have paper maps so i yeah, needed that phone as navigating my own. right yeah yeah so, i i think you know having any sort of um, way to charge a device, especially by your own, you know, you pedaling creates the energy is it's better than nothing. So I, oh, I yeah, a lot of value in that. <laughs> yeah. um, so go back to the, uh, the fundraiser that you're doing and also your Instagram page. Can you tell people again, what that, where they can find you? Yeah. So, yeah. So it's on Instagram and you just search for parks pilgrimage. And you'll see the little logo. It's it's a mountain bike wheel with a mountain in it. And then it says Parks Pilgrimage around the outside. From there, if you want to donate, it's in the, you know, on an Instagram, you're only allowed to put one link up. Yeah, so, uh, so the link's that's in the, the bio. Link. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the link to the bio. Yeah, it's, um, when I first came up with the project, it was just going to be for me. And then I thought, you know, this should this should be for more than just myself. And that's when I came up with the idea of, of raising money for the national parks. And so I reached out to the park foundation they got on board immediately. And then, then I was talking to a friend of mine who said, uh, how are you going to raise money? And I said, well, I got this blog. It's pretty popular. Um, he's like, nobody reads anymore. <laughs> he's like, I ain't going to raise any money. I'm like, well, what do you, and he works in Hollywood. He's like, you need, you need video. So I was like, Oh man, I'm too old. I don't want to learn this. And plus I don't like, you know, I'm not big on social media. And so, uh, uh, that's when I was, you know, I, I came up with the idea that I was going to, um, pay for someone to come along. And my friend Alex, uh, volunteered to help. And, and she was amazing and did some, some really amazing stuff. And, mm-hmm. and she helped me get it all in the beginning, but it, you know, it's, there was a lot of work getting in put up to making it not just a solipsistic, uh, endeavor, right. Not just all about me and the things I want to enjoy, trying to make it more than just about and there's nothing wrong with doing it, just a, a great ride for yourself. But I want to take something bigger than that. And aside from the $12,000 that we raised, which I hope continues to go up. Yeah. You know, I've done interviews with USA Today or one of their affiliates and then ABC News and a few and a bunch of local papers along the way. And it's just giving people that awareness, right, of our parks. Because right. as I as I would try to explain to people, you know, especially, you know, when I started this trip, it was literally April of 2021 we were just coming out of COVID, right? Yeah. yeah. And that was one of the hardest years financially for a lot of people. And I would say, I, you know, I I understand a lot of people don't have money to donate, but you know what? Go to the park because you don't protect what you don't love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you don't go out to our parks and fall in love with them, when, when bills come up to, you know, make them smaller or, you know, you're not aware that appropriations bills, um, we're underfunding our parks as it is, you know, you become an activist for it just by falling in love with it. So 
it really sort of took on more and more. And as I met more people and talked to them on the road and encouraged them, and then I would hear back from them, oh, my God, I went to that park you told me about. That is the coolest place I've ever been. It made me feel so good. And that was another great sort of secondary side effect of this trip was you know, all the all the wonderful things it did for me and the adventures and the experiences that I have, but also just being able to share our parks with people and, you know, just being able to pull up the phone and show them, you know, uh, you know, Oh, you know, you, you know, you only live a hundred miles from this park. Look at this. And Oh my God, I didn't even know that. Right. Right. And, and just getting people involved and, 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 and get, get their buy-in for the love of our national parks. I love it. And I can tell you, you know, a good example is when I'm driving, like, you know, let's say I'm, I live in Iowa and I was driving like to, I don't know, Colorado. Um, when you pass by a sign that has a, a national park, you're like, wait a minute. I didn't even know this one existed. So that in itself is like, what? We, I should know where our national parks are. So this is such a great um, fundraiser that you did and just like a super, super cool that you were able to connect biking with it. Uh, well, yeah, biking is my number one love in life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't even know all the parks until I started this. I'm like, what is there's two national parks in South Dakota? What? <laughs> I thought there's just Badlands. It turns out that Wind Cave, called the hidden gem of the national parks, really is exactly that. It is a hidden gem. It is stunning. What's it called? There, Wind Cave National Park. Okay. It's in the southern end of the Black Hills. It has one of, there are only seven free-roaming, uh, genetically pure buffalo herds left in the world. Oh, my. And... Um, one is in Yellowstone, which I went to and saw that herd. One is in uh, Teddy Roosevelt National Park in North, North Dakota. Saw that one. One is in Wind Cave and saw that one. So in Wind Cave has this beautiful cave system. It's a dry cave system underneath it that the Lakota Sioux believe both um, their people and the buffalo, buffalo sprung from. It's, oh. it's stunning. And the Black Hills are absolutely stunning. And you can, from there you can ride. Um, the Mickelson Trail up, and the Mickelson Trail is incredible. And I got to ride all these incredible trails. Like I did the, the Katie from end to end. I did the the Erie Canal from end to end. I jumped on, you know, through Iowa. I rode the Cedar River Trail, the Spartan something in oh Elroy Sparta, Elroy Sparta, yeah. Wisconsin, yeah. and you know, I just all these amazing trails. But when I left Hot Springs National Park, I could have literally gone north directly northeast and gone straight up to St. Louis where Gateway Arch National Park is. But I wanted to do the Katy Trail. So I kept going west through the rest of Arkansas, then up through Oklahoma, then cut across the corner of uh, Kansas and then picked up the Katy at its western terminus in Clinton and rode that all the way into St. Charles. Oh, where it sure. ends. And then went, yeah. and then the same thing, like years ago, I did the northern tier and the northern tier, you drop onto the Erie Canal in Palmyra which is, I think you got maybe 100 miles of the whole, whole 400 miles left of the actual um, uh, Erie Canal towpath. So, uh, and this time I'm like, no, I want to do the whole thing. So when I came, when I left Acadia, I went through the White Mountains, Green Mountains, and I beelined it directly towards Albany so I could ride the entire Erie Canal. Oh, wow. So like I did certain things just to make sure I could hit things I'd always wanted to see. I love it. Well, we gotta, we're going to wrap things up, but I, we have to make sure that people go over to Instagram and just look at Parks Pilgrimage. The photographs are amazing. The um, fundraising. There's, there's a, yeah, there's 150 one-minute videos. Ooh, okay. Um, the reels, yeah. Some of them are narrated, like this is what I did, this, and some are just like, like, you know, just, hey, this is what 
<laughs> this is what Iowa looks like when it rains. Yeah. I did one just about that because all oh, uh, it was either 100 degrees in Iowa or it was a thunderstorm <laughs> my, entire, my entire time going across Iowa. As an Iowan, I apologize and, for that. Oh, uh, no, no. You know, Iowa was beautiful. And like I said, I met I met Craig there, who's yeah. the guy who put us together. Yeah, there were some amazing warm showers. Iowa has such an amazing tradition for bike riding because of Ragby. Uh-huh. And then, you know, um, even though it's not on the Trans Am, it, I felt like, they had the same level of respect for long distance bike tours as you see, as you get when you go through like Kansas. Oh, good, good. You know, so it was just, everybody there was, was so friendly. Uh, Iowa was wonderful. Oh, good. Very good. Well, Scott, yeah. thank and, you. And, and, oh, and, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I would like to encourage people if they do go to park pilgrimage, please donate. Our parks do need it. And again, it does all go for conservation projects and parks, but feel free to email me or to contact me through DM on Instagram. I don't mind uh, giving advice personally. You know, I've answered thousands of individual questions for people. And like I said, I'm reviewing gear now. At the end, I just put up a message, you know, would anybody like to see gear reviews? And if you would, what would you like? And I just got the list, wrote it down, and that's what I'm going to do. But I don't mind just individual questions like, hey, you wrote through this area, or what do you think? The more people, especially as we face more and more challenges from global warming, the more people who find this as a form of recreation, I think the better. And also it it ties you to the land in a way that traveling by car never will. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I mean, I think you can offer a lot of uh, insight into gear reviews and such, but also just like super cool trails you've been on to be able, somebody's like, hey, I'm going to Missouri. What do you think? And you'll be like spout off probably a couple of different places that people should go. So, Oh, yeah. And, and, and also about the mental aspect of the game. And that you can get a lot of that at my blog. Mm-hmm. Mine are more about like sort of the existential um, aspects that come from touring about being alone and solitude. And then also some of the, you know, the year I biked up the Mississippi, which is the exact opposite of what we're having right now. It was the longest sustained flood on the, in the history of the Mississippi. Mm. And so, I, I mean, between New Orleans and St. Louis, I had over 400 miles of detours and probably was only on the Great River Road for about 60 percent of the time. The rest of the time I was out in the country and most of the campgrounds, you know, are all in the in, in the in, in the river bottom. So they were flooded out. I was sleeping in, you know, people's, you know, it's knocking on farmers doors and asking if I sleep in their field or at churches or fire stations. I talk about a lot of what I see, you know, the consequences of of global warming. And, and I'm actually writing an article right now that I'm, I'm going to submit to a magazine about, you know, people keep asking me, like, what's the worst weather you see? And they keep asking, they, they, they think it's going to be like a tornado, which I've been in, um, thunderstorms, hailstorms, snowstorms. No, it's the heat. The heat? In, in, in all my years of touring, the heat, it gets hotter earlier. It stays hotter longer in the summer. The heat waves are hotter. So they're, you know, they're not in the high 90s now. Now they're in the mid hundreds. And they, the duration is longer. They're you know, not two or three days or five or six or seven days. Mm. And so literally it's the heat that's making touring becoming harder and harder because, and, and let's be honest, most people tour and you did the Southern tour. So what'd you do it? Fall or spring, right? Spring, right. Mm-hmm. Spring. Yeah. Well, most people don't, most people tour in the summer. Well, the, probably the biggest challenge in the summer now is the heat. I spent two full summers back to back in different parts of the country. And it was, the heat was by far, it was so much easier to plan for snow or rainstorms or hailstorms. Um, than it was for heat because there's only so much you can do in the heat. Once it gets up above 100, you're taking your you're you're taking some severe risks with your health. 
Right. And it's, yeah, when you're on a bike, it's the, the opportunities to get out of that heat are slim. Well, yeah, because, you know, if it's 105 degrees out um, and you're in, you know, North Dakota, it'll be 98 at 11 o'clock at night. And the idea that like, oh, well, I'm not going to bike today because of the heat. What am I going to do? Sit in a tent in 105 degree heat? Right. You know, that would that would be like hell. Right. So you get up as early as you can. You bike and you try to find an area where you could maybe spend a few hours in the afternoon where you're not going to be in it. And then maybe try to make a little more in the evening. Some days you just got to bike when it's brutal, but you got to be really, really aware. And then you've got to, you know, that's one of the great things about having those insulated bottles. At least you have always have cold water and, you know, a way to sort of help mitigate it. But, yeah, heat is by far the the most extreme um, challenge that I had on this trip. There are a few times I thought I might have bit off more than I, ch- I, I, I could chew and mm-hmm. I might have put my life in, in danger. But and you luckily made it. it didn't happen. Yeah, I, I made, it, say but, you made it. And, 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 but it's, it's the heat that, that, that I, I never had concerns about any of the other, anything else. What is the address of that blog? I think if you Google bike mule, and I can, I'll, I'll email it to you. I'll yeah. email you the link. Yeah, we'll put but, it in the um, show notes. Yeah, it's 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 called Bike Mule, and it literally it's a hodgepodge. I mean, because I've toured, you know, one summer in in law school, I went up to Alaska, so I have some stuff from my time biking around in Alaska and all my different tours around the country. So it's it's from years and years and years of of writing. There's maybe thirty or forty articles up on it, but it's all about bike touring. Good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about, well, biking in general, because I love to talk about biking and touring as well. But specifically, the whole National Parks fundraiser is freaking awesome. And everyone can go to the show notes to find out Scott's Instagram page and blog and all that good stuff. So thank you so much, Scott. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed talking to you. Well, that's it for this week. A few great deals to send your way. Use code MURFOLOGY at hammerhead.io to get a free heart rate monitor with your crew, too. And a shout out to Lily Trotter's compression socks. Use code MURFOLOGY to get 20% off your purchase of the best compression socks. Also use code PRIMALMURF for 20% off your Primal Wear cycling gear at primalwear.com. Of course, email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com if you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting. Support my podcast at patreon.com slash morphology and visit my Facebook, Instagram, and website for daily entertainment. I have more great episodes in the pipeline, so I hope you continue to be a Morphology Podcast listener. Mm-hmm.